All right, guys, grab a Bible. I, you're going to have to turn in your Bibles this morning. So great. You're going to want a Bible. And then uh, grab a handout. We start week two of our biblical hospitality series this morning. And so last week, if you missed it, we're starting this series on 3 John on biblical hospitality. And what we saw last week was charity is a big deal. Okay. What does a mature Christian look like? It looks like someone who's charitable, who loves on other people without expecting anything back. It's someone who is Christ-like in their willingness to lay down their lives for someone else. And that is the capstone of Christian maturity. You don't get any more mature than charity. To do well in our Christian lives, we would become charitable people. Now, what we saw last week is hospitality is a, is a valid form of charity. Okay, so that should get some of our attention because maybe you can't go spend a month in Nairobi. But you know what you can do is learn hospitality. Okay, and, and, and honestly, you don't have to reach my neighbor. I'll reach my neighbor, but you do need to be able to reach your neighbor. So I can't reach your neighbor maybe very well. They wouldn't maybe want to come to my house, but they could come to your house. And if we can learn biblical hospitality, what we will do is we will extend the love of God out into our communities, into our families, simply by using what we have. Like you're going to eat anyway. You're going to have a house or an apartment anyway. Why not use that? Well, so this, this, this series on biblical hospitality is going to, of course, be an expository series preaching through 3 John. Also, though, we're going to get practical. My, my strength is not on the practical. It's more on the philosophical. I don't know if you noticed that. But I'll just say stuff and it's like, that's true. But then, you know, there's nothing to do at the end. Okay, so sorry. But we're going to get practical on this. And Wagi, who, who worked for years in the hospitality industry and has insights into that, is going to help us distill some principles from God's word so that we can keep it straight in our minds. But then also apply those things practically to help just fill in the gaps in areas where maybe we have blind spots or something like that in terms of biblical hospitality. So if you want, you can get a notebook. Okay, we have notebooks underneath in that box over there. And then you get a cover sheet, which are over there like this, and you can form your own notebook. If you get a notebook, by the end, you're going to have a reference commentary with your own personal notes and what God showed you for the book of 3 John. You'll also have a reference, you know, you can refer back to. You'll also have a workbook, like, like, a, like a handbook to go back to and go over these things. So if you want that, get a notebook, and then you can keep them here, like Wagi's over there getting his notebook out of the cupboard. If you don't want to drag it back and forth every week, you can just keep it here and then just get it every week. So that's by way of review. Now, open your Bibles to 3 John.
And what we're going to do is just look at these first two verses here. You guys ready? The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and may be in health, even as thy soul prosperous. In these first two verses, John writes this letter. He's telling us the letter is from him to Gaius, but as he tells us that, he identifies himself as the elder. The elder unto. Okay, and then he communicates love and well wishes. So John makes it very clear that Gaius is loved, and this is our theme for this morning, is knowing you are loved changes you. Okay? That's going to be what we're focusing on. So let's look at just a couple things out of this verse. This week, we're going to cover the love that's communicated. Next week, we're going to cover the, the well wishes. Like, hey, I wish you prosper. We're going to cover that part next week. But, but in regards to the elder, that is, of course, the Apostle John. An elder describes both his position and his age. So letter A, the dating of the letter, this, this book of the Bible is probably around 90 AD. That makes it one of the latest writings of all scripture. And John, at that point, was an old man. So elder aptly describes his age. By the way, it's good to be old in the church. Listen to this verse, you guys. Okay, the hoary head, that's the gray, the gray hair. The, the gray hair, the hoary head, that's how I used to say it. It is a crown of glory, Proverbs 16.31 says. The gray head is a crown of glory. So I'm just looking around, not so much. Uh, there, Mark Bailey, okay, right there. Look at that. Now, we got, we got the beard over here. The gray, okay. The hoary head is a crown of glory, comma, but the, there's more to the verse. Listen, if, if it be found in the way of righteousness. See, by the time you got, you're, you're all gray. Well, I did. I was, I'm looking at a, around. Okay. But I could be looking in the mirror. Okay. You have had a thousand jumping off points. You have been offended more times than you can count. You've been dismissed. You've been unappreciated. People have literally and figuratively stepped on your toes. How many times over the course of your time in the church? You didn't quit. You know what? That's a crown of glory. I love it that our church has all these young people. You guys, God is at work. This isn't happening everywhere. I love the youth in our church. I hope they're all still here when they're our age. But the reality is not everybody makes it, right? Man, let's pray that they will. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. And when John says the elder, that holds a great deal of respect. This is the Apostle John, who is also, you know, old. Now, elder also describes, let her be, a position in the church. Let's look at some verses here in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. When they had ordained them 
elders in the church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. So what was happening here is we've got the church authorities going around to these different church plants and they ordaining elders. Now they didn't, they didn't like ordain. You're old. You're not old. You're old. No, they didn't ordain people's age. This is talking about an office, a position in the church. Okay, and for, turn, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm using a different Bible, so you're going to have to be patient with me to get where we're going. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger man as brethren. It's talking about age there. It's comparing older people in the church with younger people in the church. Same with verse 2. The elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. So there we're looking at elder in terms of age, but drop down with me to verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So we see that some of the elders are also rulers, but not all of them. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2. Okay, we see in those, let's go to the next slide here. What we see is that Paul's telling Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. So he's not old as an elder. However, he's the pastor of that church, which we read about at the end of 2 Timothy. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be unto you. Amen. The second epistle unto Timotheus ordained the first bishop of the church of the Ephesians. So just some things that we see regarding this word elder. First of all, not all elders in position are elders in age. Okay, not all elders in age are elders in position. All bishops are elders in position. Okay, bishop is just another word for pastor. All bishops are elders in position, but not necessarily in age, like Timothy. You can be an elder as a position and not be a bishop, not be a pastor. So just some of the things, sometimes you'll hear that word being used. You'll say, one of our teaching elders, and then they'll bring up some 21-year-old kid, and you're like, what? Wait a minute. I think I changed that guy's diaper when I was in children's ministry. Now he's a teaching elder? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He has, he has a call of, like, let's listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. Praise the Lord. Okay, so. But, okay, so that's elder. I want to talk a little bit about this love thing here. So three of the first 13 words in these two verses have to do with love. Let's look at it again. Back in, in Second John, or I'm sorry, Third John. The elder unto the well-beloved. Well-beloved is the first time we see love. The well-beloved Gaius, whom I love, there's a second time in the truth, and then verse two, beloved. So three times in the first 13 words of these verses, it's love, love, love. So John, once again, is communicating to us one of his favorite themes is love. And here's what we see. 
Gaius is someone who is loved. So well-beloved is an adjective. Now, I don't want to have a long grammar lesson, but an adjective just describes a noun or a person, right? So you, he could have said to the faithful Gaius or to the brave, courageous. Like, like he could have used lots of different adjectives to describe this guy. But what he did, he's described him as beloved. And I don't know about you, but that would be pretty cool. If I got a letter and it'd be like, man, to the well-liked, Chris, how would you like to get a letter? And it's like, to Patrick, the guy that everybody loves. Like, wouldn't that actually be kind of affirming if, if, if you thought of yourself and the perception that comes to mind is someone who was just loved? Wouldn't that be cool? That's what John does for Gaius. To the well-beloved. So that word well-beloved is also translated, A-T-A, is also translated as dear. So Scott and I were talking this morning out on the ramp about a, a visitor to the Bible study who, who Scott's going to connect with and help like her friend come to Christ and everything. So we're out there talking about this. And here comes my granddaughter's. And I'm like, Scott, who? Like, oh, my granddaughters. And then it's like, oh, they're so dear to me. And then I'm done with my granddaughters. I'm like, oh, sorry, Scott. He's like, no, I get it. Like, yeah, why? Because they're so dear to me. It's not that I don't love Scott. Just they're, he's not as cute. And, you know, all that. So, yeah, I can't pick him up like that. Okay. They're dear to me. They're love. They are well-beloved grandchildren to me. Letter B, Gaius is loved by John in the truth. Okay, so, so John says, Gaius, whom I love in the truth, right? Well, okay, so well-beloved is an adjective, but to love in the truth, that's a verb, okay? That's, that's an action word. So it's one thing if I could come to the point in my mind where I think to myself, I think maybe they're living world class. I think maybe they like me. You know, like maybe I'm well beloved there. Maybe people have a positive thought. Like that would be pretty cool. But that's different than Wagi just saying, Chris, I love you. It's different. This is more, it's a personal, experiential action that really is not just like a teaching that you can intellectually agree with. If someone says, I love you, that's not an intellectual appreciation. It's not a general adjective thing. This is a verb thing. Hey, I love you. Okay, so can we experientially can we personally receive love or were you just that wounded because you know you're carrying around some walls i love mary's testimony this morning she's like german catholic stoic stoic over here guilt over there Go to your confession or your religious activity or whatever, but then, man, that's no way to live. Well, okay. 
the majority of people feel un feel unloved. Did you know that? Take a survey. The majority of people struggle with feeling unloved. Now they may know intellectually, according to what the Bible says, that that God loves me, but personally, experientially. Mm, okay, we'll get there. Okay, number letter C, number letter C. Gaius's identity is one who is loved. Okay, so John says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, so there's the adjective, whom I love, verb, in the truth. And then verse two starts with beloved. So in the first part, he's not actually talking to Gaius. He's saying, hey, this is a letter from me to Gaius. But when he addresses Gaius, he doesn't use his name. He calls him beloved. Now that's, that's a noun. Hey, guys, you know who you are? You are dear to me. You are beloved to me. And, and then three times in this letter, we're going to see, he doesn't call him by name ever. He calls him beloved, beloved, beloved. And what we see there is this becomes, according to John, this is Gaius's identity. It's his title. It's who he is through this book. All right, so this is, of course, written by the Apostle John. John, how did John describe himself in the Gospel of John? Anybody? If you know that, raise your hand. The disciple who Jesus loved, right? That's what you were all going to say. Yeah, me too. Okay, so this is who is writing this letter to someone else. The, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Turn to John, the book of John, not the epistles, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel of John. Turn to chapter 13 of the gospel of John. And we'll just start, we'll look at verse 23. All right. In John chapter 13, verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, that is on his chest, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John is describing himself. And we, we read that at the end of the book. If you want to prove that it's John, just go to the end of the book. You'll see it's, this is the disciple who's writing these things, uh, is the one who was Jesus loved. But Okay, now we tend to think like all the artists who drew Jesus and his disciples sitting around and John has his head on Jesus' chest. We tend to think like, oh, John was the sensitive one. Like, like John, like he's kind of a girly man. Like, like he's, they always show him with long hair and they show him as this boyish guy because he's got his head on Jesus' chest. Can I just say it took a little bit of courage to put your head on Jesus' chest in front of all the other fishermen? Can I just say that, that, that John was maybe not afraid to receive love? Because you know Jesus loved all the disciples, right? Look at, look at John 13, verse 1. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus loved all his disciples, but John was the only one who identified himself according to the love that he received from Jesus. All the others, maybe they had their own identities, but it wasn't that. At least it's not recorded in scripture. So here's John, like, again, like the sensitive one. Well, I don't know. I think he was the fearless one. Look at, look at, uh, just flip over a few pages here to John chapter 19, the gospel of John, verse 26. Jesus is on the cross. All the disciples having fled in the garden and abandoned him, Peter made it to the gate, but then Peter, when he was confronted by a maid, left in fear, denying Jesus Christ three times. So here's Jesus on the cross, his disciples all having abandoned him except, look at verse 26. Jesus looks down from the cross. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith, woman, behold thy son. Oh my goodness, you guys. The sensitive. No, he was fearless. The only disciple to make it to the foot of the cross. You know why? Because he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. He identified himself based on the love that he had. Go back to 3 John. I'm sorry, go to 1 John. Sorry. Go to 1 John. Chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And John was able to go to the foot of the cross, I am proposing, because he wasn't scared. He knew he was loved, and that was enough. So, letter D, knowing that you are loved changes you. You can study in psychiatry or whatever, sociology, whatever. You can study about unloved kids. In fact, you guys, it's horrible. One of the justifications that the world uses for the evil of abortion is that the quality of life of unwanted and unloved kids is so bad. It would be better that they weren't even born. They justify abortion because they say, look how bad it is to be an unwanted, unloved child in our society. All the scales, whatever you want to look at, kids who are unloved, who, who, who perceive they are unloved, I should qualify, end up with anxiety, depression, trust issues, go figure, inattention. They can't sit still. They're always now. You know why? Because they can't rest, you guys. And if you don't know that you're okay, guess what? 
are derived. Perfect love casts out fear, but without that love, there is fear. There is a smoldering, underlying unrest that leads to the restless activity of those who don't know that they're loved. Mary, what you described was kind of like that. You went from a place where you weren't able to perceive love to a place where you were. It's made all the difference. Okay, so perfect love casts out fear. So someone doesn't have love and then they get love. Did that love change them? Yes. Love changes us. Okay, so we were singing this song. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am who you say I am. And so I have kids and I'm sitting there and I'm singing this song and I'm thinking about Christ going to prepare a place for us in his father's house. And I'm thinking about my kids in my house. And I was just thinking about how I feel about my kids, how much I love them. I would do anything for them. Do they have a place in my house? Well, I mean, they're all kind of grown, but outside of like, they're all, yes, of course, right? And I just here, I kind of got overwhelmed, you guys, because I thought to myself, man, if God loves me, Just the way I love my kids, and that's when God looks down, if that's how he feels about me, I'm kind of overwhelmed. Okay, we know that God loves us more than we could love our kids because he's perfect and we're not, right? I get that intellectually. But when I try to process that emotionally, Guys, God loves you. Is there anybody in your life who's dear to you? Your kids, maybe? Okay, now switch that around. God's the father. And you're the child. Are you loved? Okay, let's 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 look at it. Look at the back of your of your handout. Look at the back of your handout. Oh, how he loves us. Okay. Are you still in, are you in 1 John still? 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Okay, so love has been given to us. God, love has been bestowed upon us. True or false? Okay, look at 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down the lives for our brother. We can perceive the love of God because the sacrifice that Christ made for us. True or false? Okay. Look at, look at 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. 
we can know and believe the love that God has for us. True or false? Okay, now just check it out. Gaius tells, John, John tells Gaius, hey, you're loved. By the way, I love you. By the way, this is your identity. So just those three verses that we just looked on out of 1 John. Hey, by the way, the manner of love that God has bestowed upon you, you are well-beloved. But here's how you need to you need to perceive it for yourself. We got to go from just an adjective that you can intellectually agree to to actually a verb that you will personally experience. Then you know what you need to do. You just need to believe that you're loved like that. You need to receive it. You guys see that? Then First John four eleven. Well, actually, 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. When you receive that kind of love from God, it's going to make you love him back. And you switch over, check this out, Mary, from religion to relationship. And that relationship has a foundation and the love that God has for you. And you just love him back. Okay. And then finally, love is given by us to others first john 4 11 beloved if god so loved us we ought to love one another so that's that's the progression you are loved you need to to experience it you need to take on the identity of someone who is loved romans 8 31 and 39 what shall separate us from the love of god and then there's all these just things that happen in life can any of those things separate us from the love of God? Well, if I am who he says I am, then no, none of those things can separate me from the love of God. And I can be like the martyrs who say, this don't matter. I, I, I have Christ and he's enough. He will not forsake me. I, this can't separate me from the love of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. You guys, this is going to change your perspective. You've read this verse a thousand times, okay? But you've never read it, comparing it to, to 3 John 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Stop. As well beloved. You're the child. God is the parent. He looks at you and says, that child is so dear to me. As dear children, walk. Okay, you guys, we mess this up. We're good Baptists, and, and we're just bad at being in a relationship with God because we're trying to follow all the rules all the time. You're supposed to walk as someone who is dear to God, and then that enables us to do verse two and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior. So if I can get to the point where self is taken care of, self is out of the way because I know I'm loved. I'm no longer restlessly trying to get to the place where maybe I'm lovable. I'm his kid. He has to love me. I'm not going to. So we continue to in sin that grace might abound. 
God forbid, but neither am I going to insult him by trying to earn his love through my performance. Hello, somebody, if your kids treated you like that, you would feel insulted. And we ought to start in the place of knowing that we're loved. And so here's a key question. Could you cash a check written to the beloved? So if on the check it said to the beloved of God, the one who is very dear to God, whom he loves greatly as a child, and that check was for a million dollars, could you take it to the bank and say, this is who I am, and cash that check? I don't know. Any bank. I think I could. I think it might be overwhelming, but I think I could open the Bible and prove to the bank teller that I am the beloved of God because that's who he says I am. You guys, the promises of God stem from this reality that he loves us. He is for us. So the key point for this is to know you're loved. Identify yourself by the love you've received and then let that change you. So in terms of a discussion in your small groups, okay, we, you either have relationship or you have religion and you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see what religious activity without charity looks like and you can see what charity does look like. So, so maybe in your small groups, you wanna discuss hindrances to believers knowing that they are loved. All right, and then what about you personally? Do you know how to perceive love personally? Are you good at expressing love? Why or why not? Can you tell the people in your small groups you love them? I had to learn to tell people I loved them. We never said that growing up. I never, like, we didn't say that in my house. Like, you kind of knew it, but we weren't like, see you later, love you. There's none, of, you know. So why or why not? Why, why, why do you think you are or aren't good at that? And then if not, what are you going to do with today's lesson? So maybe, maybe have a chance for everybody to share. We've got 20 minutes. Yeah, share in your small group first, if you would, and then we'll, we'll, we'll reconnect here at the end. So, so let's go into our small groups and, and work through this.